Good morning and welcome to another edition of the Morning Devotional. My name is Pastor William Hill. I'm the pastor of Providence Presbyterian Church. We are located in Evansville, Indiana. It's great to have you here with me for a Wednesday, December 14th, 2022. This is edition number 10 of season 7 as we continue working our way through the book of Joshua. This morning we come to Joshua chapter 10. Let's pray together first and then we'll look at this chapter. Father, we thank you again for your word and we thank you for the way in which it guides our steps and gives us instruction as we pilgrim in this world and in this life. We pray that you would help us now that we would be mindful of your word as it's discussed, as it's taught, that we would hear and do what we hear. We pray for your grace that you would sustain us and help us by this, the bread of life, that you would feed us with your word and we would labor to strive with all the means that you've given to glorify you with our lives. May you be gracious to us, we pray for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, Joshua chapter 10 is a rather unusual chapter in the canon of the Bible. Here within this chapter, we have that event that many of us know as the sun standing still. We're going to deal with that in just a few moments. But the other aspect of this chapter, which is vitally important as we understand the narrative as it's unfolding here in the book of Joshua, is, is that the events of Joshua 10 test the events of Joshua 9. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I mean this. You remember from our previous edition that Joshua 9 was this event in which the people of Israel and the leadership especially, did not seek the counsel of the Lord, verse 14 of, uh, of Joshua 9. So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. Now you remember this was all in, um, within the context of the Gibeonite deception. Now the Gibeonites were enemies of God's people, but here now they make this commitment, they make a vow uh, to bring them in, and to uh, take care of them, protect them, um, and, uh, so, and to help them. Joshua 10 is a test against that very vow. And why do I say that? Well, because we read there in the opening lines of the chapter, as soon as Adonai Zedek, um, king of Jerusalem, heard how Joshua had captured Ai and devoted it to destruction, doing to Ai and its king, as he had done to Jericho and its king, and how the inhabitants of Gibeon had made peace with Israel and were among them, he feared greatly because Gibeon was a great city like one of the royal cities, and because it was greater than Ai, and all its men were warriors. So Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, sent to Hoham, king of Hebron, to Piram, king of Jarmuth, to Japhia, king of Lachish, and to Debir, king of Eglon, saying, Come up to me and help me, and let us strike, and here it is, let us strike, Gibeon. And so they're going to come, they're going to wage war against Gibeon. The very people that we found in chapter 9 deceived the people of God, but yet, due to their failure, they made a vow with these people, and now they've committed themselves to defending them. And we read, and we continue to read at the end of verse 4, For it has made peace with Joshua and with the people of Israel. And the five kings of the Amorites, the king king of Jerusalem, the king of Hebron, the king of Jarmuth, the king of Lachish, and the king of Eglon gathered their forces and went up with all their armies and encamped against Gibeon and made war against it. 
The men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp in Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, and all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came up, came upon them suddenly, and having marched up all night from Gilgal, and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of Beth Horon and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. Now, here we have the response of God's people. Here are these people, and you have to somewhat enter your, put yourself in the situation. In chapter 9, they've deceived Joshua. They have in some sense, annoyed him with their deception, but because of their failure, now they've made this vow to, um, uh, to, uh, to take care of them. And now this attack comes against Gibeon, and Joshua is either going to do what he said he would do, or he is going to turn aside from that commitment. And here, of course, we see how Joshua did, in fact, keep the word that he gave on behalf of the people of God. He kept his word. Now, I don't need to tell you that we live in a world in which people do not do that. Uh, I, I witness it. I see it all the time, even as a pastor. I'm mindful of many different verses. Psalm 15 is one that comes to mind quite frequently, that a man would swear to his own hurt and not change. Here, Joshua has made a commitment. He has sworn to his own hurt, and he should not change. And as God's people, we must be people of our word, regardless of the test that comes against it, regardless of the situations that, uh, that show up. We must do what we vow, promise, commit to doing. Now, you don't have to use the words, I promise, before, before a commitment. You don't have to say, I promise to do X and X, and then you don't do X and X, and you can then have an out clause and say, well, I didn't, I didn't say I promise. There used to be a time when our word was as strong as oak, to quote from a popular movie. It's not the case anymore. That's why we have contracts. That's why we have lawyers. That's why we have all of these matters to ensure that which a person says they're going to do they're actually bound over to do, and if they try to get out of it, they're not going to be able to because it's a written contract with a signature that says, I will do what I said I would do. I would pay what I said I would pay. Now, there's many different ways I could go with this, just from a devotional point of view, um, but, but be, to be perfectly blunt, God's people should be marked by integrity. They should be marked by their word. If they say they're going to do something, they ought to do it. Uh, unless God and his providence intervenes. Uh, I recognize that we do not know the future. I don't even know what's going to happen one minute from now. Uh, but insofar as the Lord enables you, when you say you're going to do something, you need to do it. And it's not always going to be easy. I mean, if it were easy to keep our word in every circumstance, everybody would be doing it. But the fact is that people don't keep their word because it's not always easy. And in this chapter, we see that it's not easy. Here, Joshua comes to the aid in defense of Gibeon, a people that were deceptive, a people that were rascals, a people that conned the people of God right out of their shoes. And yes, they did not seek the counsel of the Lord, but the fact still remains that Gibeon is a nation of deceivers. 
Now, as church members, we, of course, make vows, at least in the context of the denomination in which I serve. Members take vows. They take five vows of membership to submit to the governance of the church, to maintain its purity and peace, to support the work of the church. That means you come to church. That means you give financially to the church. It means a lot of things. And you submit yourself to that discipline and governance of the church, the elders that are there. And there are going to be times in, the, in your life, you may be in this time right now, when the church you're attending isn't necessarily making you very happy. Or it doesn't necessarily do what you think it should do. I'm not talking about gross sin. I'm not talking about wicked immorality or rank-and-file heresy. And there are ways to deal with that within the confines of the church without violating your vows. The too often in the church, people take these vows and then they abuse them or they don't keep them for convenience sake. I'm not talking about providence. I'm not talking about the Lord moving you in a job to another state. And so they get themselves all in a twist and then they end up going somewhere else. That's not keeping your vows. The Word of God is very clear about these kinds of matters. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says it'd be better not to vow than to vow and then break it. But the fact remains is that we should be marked by keeping our oaths, keeping our promises, keeping our vows. And that's just one example, of course. Marriages, husbands, you took a vow to love your wife, to support her, to care for her, to lead her, to guide her. Wives, you took vows too. Used to, vows used to be something somewhat different than they are today, I realize. But the fact remains that they're still vows. They need to be honored. It's not always going to be easy. Sometimes a husband can be an a, a adult. Uh, I get that. Sometimes the wife is not easy to deal with. I get that too. I see all of these things, and that's what happens in ministry a lot, but I don't think you have to be a pastor to see those kinds of matters. Children should obey their parents. Uh, No, they didn't say, I promise to obey my parents, but you are a child, and you live under the roof of your parents, and you should do what they tell you. Your parents aren't perfect people. But you should obey them nonetheless. Wives, your husband's not perfect. Husbands, your wife isn't perfect either. And all of these things. You know, employers on the job, you took a vow, whether you know it or not, when you signed the company policy handbook to follow the rules of the company. You should do what they say. If you can't do that, you shouldn't work there. Be, be a man of integrity. Be a woman of integrity. Don't take the job. You don't agree with the policies of the company, don't take the job. And there's other matters that are going to happen. I could go on and on. Um, But I see it far too often. And while I'm certainly not perfect in this department, nobody is, we should be endeavoring to be men and women of our word. And I see it far too often. We cop out. we, We don't swear to our own hurt. We're more than happy to keep our word as long as it's convenient. As soon as it's inconvenient, we're not going to do it anymore. Well, that's not being men and women of integrity, and it shouldn't mark any Christian. Now, I realize I've gone on and on about this, but it is a vitally important issue, and this chapter kind of it somewhat highlights that. The men of Israel, Joshua, the leaders, they kept their word. It wasn't easy. They did it nonetheless. Now, embedded in this event, of course, is that event there, beginning in verse 12, at that time Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, Sun stands still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ajalon. And the sun stood still and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. 
Is this not written in the book of Jasher? The sun stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for about a whole day. There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Now, so much to learn here, but one thing I just want to point out very quickly is that opponents of the Word of God might use this verse against you. They might say, see, yeah, it's ridiculous. The sun didn't stand still. The sun doesn't move. And the Bible's wrong. Well, that's nice, but the fact remains is that it did stand still from the perspective of the people standing on the earth. When we look up at the sun, we see, from our vantage point, we see what appears to be a, a, a celestial body moving through the sky. We even talk that way. The sun rises, sun sets. The sun will rise at this time in the morning. It'll set at this time at night. The moon rose and all these. Okay, we talk that way. It's from our perspective. This is not a scientific statement by any means. We understand the science. Uh, but what is interesting is that God in his divine providence, uh, for his purposes and reasons here in this particular narrative, suspends the laws of physics. If it were actually to happen, apart from God's say-so and providence, which is impossible, of course, the reality in the catastrophe that would occur across the face of the earth is too too terrible to even contemplate. But God suspends the laws of physics. Not only did the sun and the moon stand still, but a lot of other things were happening too that aren't necessarily recorded here. It is a supernatural act of God's own power and hand as the creator of the universe to do this, that he might sustain his people in battle and in the world. Now, I don't need to stretch this, I think, very far to see that God often does that in our lives in ways we're not even aware of. Now, God is acting, typically through means, but not always to protect and guide his people throughout the course of their day. It may not be something as, as, as fantastic as seeing the sun stand still, but God is working for his people on a daily basis. And he's doing so by his own power and his own might and by his own, according to his own divine purposes and providence. And we need to trust that. It's interesting how the text puts this. There's not been a day nor day like it or before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. Highlighting the importance of prayer, really, and the need to pray and to plead with God even for things that seem so impossible from our point of view. Pray fervently. Be like Elijah, James chapter 5. He prayed fervently that it might not rain in the earth, and for three years and six months it did not rain. And then he prayed again, and the heavens gave forth its rain, and the earth bore its fruit. We must be like that. And so here we have in this chapter two very important lessons, two very important things. The end of the chapter concludes with the Amorite kings being executed and the conquest of the southern, of southern Cana, really an exercise in defense, uh, being initiated. And so much to learn here. May God help us to ponder these things. I trust these times are helpful for you. If you have any comments or questions, you can leave me a note. The way to reach me is there before you on the screen. And so until... The Thursday edition, when we consider Joshua chapter 11, may the Lord help you today. May you do what you say you're going to do. Go to work. Be faithful. Do your job. Honor your employer. Uh, keep your commitments as you have made them. The Lord will help you in all of it. God bless.